Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. major sports are in action this week with the college football playoffs ready to kick off but online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info including news for pro football the nba upcoming fights and nhl games this season head to the website today to get in on the action and see all the updated odds for the week remember to use our promo code believe b-l-e-a-v to receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit bet online where the game starts All right, folks, this is Jeremy Evans, your host of the California Sports Lawyer Podcast. As always, thank you for being with us. This is episode 49 of season five. So we're coming to a close uh, in season five here. Hard to believe. Um, Again, always appreciate listening in and making us one of the top entertainment and sports law podcasts in the world. And uh, and maybe one of the only podcasts that actually discusses uh, the combination of entertainment, media, and sports. Uh, as most podcasts are sort of focused more on uh, some of the other topics uh, individually. But uh, as always, as I mentioned, appreciate listening. I'm always very humbled by that. So we have an interesting episode today. We'll be talking about the uh, next college football model. What is the NCAA going to look like in the years to come, right? What has been interesting about the sort of changes in college football is that the structure of the NCAA for the most part has stayed the same. It's not been a situation where, you know, I mean, they have made some rule changes, particularly with the Alston case and NIL uh, to where Alston was talking about um, this idea that um, schools could not limit benefits to student athletes. Uh, And then separately the NIL rules, which, uh, were drafted by the NCAA, but then also um, began with state legislatures uh, passing such uh, legislation on topics like uh, name, image, and likeness for college athletes. But ultimately, it was the NCAA that um, removed the rules uh, on basically, or restrictions, if you will, on student athletes receiving something of value and signing a contract uh, with an agent. So those obviously have been lifted. And NIL has been a major part of college sports now for a couple of years since uh, July of 2021 for um, for most states uh, that have passed such legislation. So, you know, where does that leave us, right? And, and I think there's three things that I want to focus on. Some of these things have been in the press recently, but I think that um, it's worthwhile to kind of go through some of these potential changes and what an NCAA model might look like if there were to be a massive structure change. Well, I think starting off, obviously we have the power five, right? So this is the big five conferences uh, in this current season, which would be the big 10 Southeastern conference or sec, the Atlantic coast conference would be the ACC, 
the Big 12 and the Pac-12. Of course, the Pac-12 is the one that had major changes um, uh, during this season, and particularly in the last offseason, if you will, um, at least from football. And the big changes were um, basically 10 schools from the Pac-12 leaving to the Big 10 and the ACC with two schools remaining behind. Um, four schools left to the Big 10. That'd be Oregon, Washington, UCLA, and USC. UCLA and USC left first. Um, then you had the ACC, which added Stanford and Cal. And then the Big 12 added Utah, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and um, trying to think of some of the other uh, the other two schools are not coming to mind, uh, but they added four new schools, um, and and actually that would bring us to uh, to ten, uh, as I count that out. Um, so I guess if I do the math, um, that would be ten schools, right? Because you got the four for the Big Ten, you've got the uh, four for the uh, Big Twelve, and then the two for the ACC. And then the schools left behind are um, the uh, Oregon State University and Washington State University. So what does this all mean? Well, you know, as sort of a recap, if you will, or if you're not familiar, when UCLA and USC left for the Big Ten, it was really about having um, bigger name opponents across the country, but also having more television dollars, Right. And of course, football can do this because you're really talking about you're going to have you know, six home games and six away games. So it's really only about traveling six times in a year. For basketball and other sports in college, it's a lot more difficult when you're talking about scheduling. So that does create some problems, and particularly for the ACC uh, with Stanford and Cal, because now you're traveling all the way across the country as opposed to the Midwest, uh, You know, at least from, uh, from California, being that Stanford and Cal are both, both from California. So um, it, it is interesting uh, because complicating the matter is that Oregon State and Washington State filed a lawsuit against the Pac-12, basically saying that, and some of the other member institutions that left, saying, you guys were corporate officers, but now that you've decided to leave the conference voluntarily, you no longer have a say in what happens to the conference. And from a legal standpoint, that's probably true in that um, not looking at the operating agreement and not looking at the corporate structure, um, you know, that, that could be true. Right. But to me, it would come down to what the contracts say. Obviously there was, you know, hopefully a dissolution clause inside of there. Now, what's the argument over here? Well, the schools that have left the UCLA's, USC's, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Arizona state, Utah, and Colorado and Stanford and Cal are all looking at well, we don't want this intellectual property, Pac-12 and the rights and everything else that goes with it to be, still be out there. If we're leaving this conference and there's only two schools left, the conference should be closed down. And there's an argument to be made there. Uh, but these two remaining schools are saying, no, we're here. We still want to run this thing. And this is not a complete dissolution. We're not closing up the conference. We want to continue to run it. And in some sense, they have the right to do that. And I think the court saw that. Uh, what is interesting about this, and we'll circle back on this, is the potential for a revival of the Pac-12, and and that could happen in a couple different ways. But it, it is significant because if we could back up a little bit, the Pac-12 is now no longer going to be considered part of the Power Five. And of course, the Power Five 
um, uses and has the ability for lots of autonomy. So um, they are, in some sense, outside of the rules for compared to other conferences. Um, not in in sort of a way that would be deemed unfair. It's just that the Power Five bring in a lot of money. There's and have a lot of television contracts. There's a lot of different ways that those those teams and and the Power Five have to be structured and have to work in order to um, to make them work. And so in this sense, uh, you're now going to have basically a power four, which would be the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, with the Pac-12 really moving more towards um, outside of the power four or power five into, the, into sort of uh, um, maybe comparable to, let's say, the Mountain West or, um, you know, um, the MAC conference or that sort of thing, right? Obviously, there's tiers to this in terms of popularity and uh, strength of schedule and schooling and that sort of thing and academics, but ultimately Pac-12 would no longer be a part of uh, the Power Five. Now, look, a couple things could change that. Um, Pac-12 or Pac-2, if you will, could add 10 schools. Uh, they could particularly look at the Mountain West and maybe take on, have the Mountain West take on these two schools and then have this sort of new conference. Um, that's sort of one option. Um, another option, which we'll circle back on, is uh, Chip Kelly's idea that was recently put out in the press at a conference, press conference, that um, potentially having a 64-team conference. So in that context, you'd have the football um, you know, program go to the Big Ten or or play schools across the country in sort of this, this big 64-team conference. But then the other programs, basketball and hockey and uh, baseball and everything else, would be you know, playing in sort of a local conference. So reviving the Pac-12 in some sense. So very interesting um, how that might play out. Or even there wouldn't even be names like the Pac-12. It would just be this sort of large conference with divisions. So in some sense, kind of like an NFL or uh, a professional sports model. So, you know, again, it, it's going to be interesting. And, and you're sort of looking at this and you're saying, well, why does it matter, you know, if the, the Pac-2 wants to exist? I mean, you know, I think from a legal standpoint, again, it's just not good to have your intellectual property out there, particularly if you're not a part of it, right? Now, if you decide to leave a certain structure, maybe you lose those rights. I can see both arguments, but ultimately that's what's uh, that's sort of what's going on. I will say this, that it is interesting that Oregon State and Washington uh, State um, did agree to uh, a scheduling um, arrangement for 2024. So those two schools would be playing uh, some of the other Mountain West schools. Now, look, ideally for former Pac-12 members that left for the Big Ten and Big 12 and ACC, um, you know, I, they would sort of look at this and say, hey, we should really have this shut down as an entity. You know, as former corporate officers, you really, again, you don't want the intellectual property out there and potentially, you know, provides for some public relations issues. Plus, um, you know, in some sense, if all these big name schools left the Pac-12, with with all due respect to Oregon State and Washington State, which are great institutions and great schools, but ten schools did leave the conference. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, you you wouldn't want a lessening of the brand, right? Because when you go from twelve teams to two, there's clearly not um, going to be a television contract there, and there's clearly not going to be. Um, the sort of gravitas that would normally come with the Pac-12. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, 
you know, again, I can see it both ways from a legal standpoint, but, you know, ultimately the court decided for Oregon state and Washington state. So they're going to be able to decide what they want to do with this, uh, with this conference. So we'll see where that goes. Um, it, it, you know, bring it back to the chip Kelly point. So after the UCLA game, uh, against Boise State on Saturday at SoFi Stadium for part of the LA Bowl with Gronk. Um, he had, who, you know, for normally for a guy who's very quiet as a head coach and often gets criticized for that, he um, was very robust in his comments about this sort of potential for a new revised NCAA. And uh, there's a great article on this in uh, Front Office Sports, or actually it's on ESPN, I take that back. Um, where he sort of advocates for a single 64-team conference where all the D Division One football programs get to play each other. And obviously you'd have scheduling to where maybe your first seven games or six games are against you know local teams, and then you maybe you play some additional games uh, across the country. Um, and again, as I mentioned earlier, this really only works for football. There's too many scheduling issues unless you're doing tournaments in each of these things, which I could see the, the current model surviving. So for example, if you had the big 10 playing a baseball, you know, tournament over a long weekend, that would probably work, you know, where you get a lot of the games, um, you know, out of the way. Uh, it, it is interesting also that coach Kelly had advocated for paying players by providing them with some sort of television or streaming dollars, which is also consistent with, um, with uh, Jim Harbaugh's comments over at Michigan. So we shall see uh, about how this plays up. But I think ultimately Kelly's idea is 64 team conference um, in football only. And then the other sports programs play against local teams like Arizona, Utah, that sort of thing. So we'll see how it plays. No, no, uh, no pun intended, but um, I will say this, uh, a division one 64 team conference would not only add parity, and schedule diversification, but it would also be exciting um, to be able to have a program like that to where you could have, um, you know, Clemson come play at UCLA or USC, or you could have South Carolina playing Oregon. If you could have, um, you know, Duke playing um, Washington, you have a lot of different mixes there, which I think would be very interesting. And to have that outside of, um, you know, a tournament and more into a sort of like regular season game. So I think it opens up some, some serious opportunities. Also in California, it's, it's interesting because there's some litigation and there's a great article about this in front office sports where there was a lawsuit filed against uh, the university of Southern California, USC, uh, which is of course a private institution, the PAC 12 and the NCAA. And it's being argued by the plaintiff that private schools and potentially all NCAA members, particularly those in the Pac-12 and obviously beyond, uh, should be forced to classify student-athletes as employees under a federal unfair labor practice claim. Now, what does this mean? Now, this happened a few years ago, right, where Northwestern students tried to unionize, and that claim was denied. And uh, I won't hash those details out, but Ultimately, what's happening here is the plaintiffs are arguing that because they are forced to work a certain schedule, um, they're not allowed to attend class, um, they're told what to do, and, um, and, and, and maybe in some cases they're, 
their sort of on the field production or practice is more important than the schooling. And because they don't really have a choice if they want to play sports, the argument is that they should be classified as employees. I don't know. I, I think that there's a, some strong points to be made there, but I also think that um, that there's some caution to be had here, and I'll, I'll get into this. So if the lawsuit were to be successful for the plaintiff, uh, particularly for the athletes, um, it would mean that NCAA and the university model uh, of student-athletes as non-employees would be deemed illegal. And it would usher in a new era of completely new NCAA, if that even existed going forward. And it would require potential for collective bargaining, unionization, sharing of revenue, workers' compensation claims, tax withholdings, and much more. You might be thinking, well, hey, maybe these athletes deserve that. That might be true. You know, You can make that argument, but it's also argued that Hey, these are students. You're going to school. Your primary purpose is school. You're not an athlete the entire year, or at least you're not practicing the entire year. Um, generally, you're going to have an off season, right? And that's not typical of an employee. You know, you might have a winter break, you know, two weeks for Christmas. Uh, but, you know, so again, these are some of the arguments, right? And of course, a lot of people will harp on the NCAA in universities and say, well, these, you know, they make a bunch of money. That might be true from television contracts, but the reality of it is, is that academics as an institution are not generally for-profit endeavors. And so they're generally nonprofits. And what that means is, is that a lot of the money that's coming in is being used for other purposes, research, uh, um, education, academics, that sort of thing. So it's, you know, not necessarily all this money is being earmarked for the athletic department. It's usually being spread around to the university to the sort of uh, departments that are in the red. So that you know that needs to be kept in mind. Um, now, look, the deal maker side of me thinks that there's a settlement to be had here, and it'll happen prior to any sort of uh, judicial ruling or jury, um, and specifically that college athletes might receive more funding from the underlying underlying institution um, with sort of litigation serving as a conduit to settle it. Right. So let's say, for example, to Chip Kelly's point and to Jim Harbaugh's point that some of the television and streaming dollars would go to these athletes. So uh, I think that's probably a better alternative than uh, turning over to unionization or employee status, which I think would change the university model completely. And you would probably have, almost certainly have, universities shutting down athletic programs. Of course, what the problem with all of this is the Title IX issue, because the second that you all of a sudden switch over to an employee status, um, it complicates Title IX, right? Because under the current model with NIL, you can say, all right, this athlete has so many followers, this is what the market will bear, and a company will pay them a certain amount of money. And because it is a private matter not to do with the institution, you know, you can have, you know, say a male athlete making more than a female athlete um, based on the fact that the athlete uh, is producing more, Right. They're having more eyeballs on television, more dollars, what have you, right? Just as an example. Although you could also argue that social media has changed a lot of that. And uh, a lot of the female athletes are making um, uh, making uh, just as much money as well in, in certain circumstances. So my point here is, is that, you know, ultimately settling is probably a better idea to get past this as opposed to disrupting the entire model of the NCAA. 
Um, now, it's also interesting that even with UCLA and USC leaving the Pac-12, along with Oregon and uh, Washington and the other schools that we mentioned uh, for the Big Ten and ACC and uh, Big 12, those schools would still be liable, by the way, because they fall under the NCAA and they were Pac-12 members at the time uh, that the litigation was filed and the claims would be going towards uh, past actions, right? Or even ongoing actions. So um, whoever the new members are or existing members are as well. Now, look, any changes as outlined would alter college athletics, specifically in football and possibly in basketball forever. Um, title line issues would be a problem, you know, to address and be able to comply with that. Uh, but we'll see. Now, of course, another problem with all this is that anytime universities spend significant time managing this stuff, managing NIL, managing money, and all of a sudden becomes potential employee situation because then the university is managing money, you know, creating opportunities and potentially even becomes as an acting agent uh, or representative or lawyer. So it's, it's very interesting. And of course, the question I've always had is at what point do the universities come along and say, um, you know, we're, you know, we're going to take a percentage of these deals um, that these athletes are getting because we're managing it. So it hasn't happened yet, but we'll sort of see. Um, but again, Title IX issues, employment law issues uh, would clearly um, have an effect on collectives and NIL money. So, and of course, collectives being a place where uh, alumni and other groups can, you know, basically donate money into a quote unquote collective. And then that money is distributed to the athletes, uh, whether on an even basis or whatever is decided. So look, the next college sports model is probably anybody's guess, uh, not to mention what Congress might do or what state legislatures might do in terms of uh, specific legisl legislation. It's frankly difficult to ascertain what may happen next or even next season. Uh, I will say that uh, NCAA President Charlie Baker did introduce NIL direct payment changes recently uh, that was not necessarily received too well on either side of the athlete or of management, if you will. Um, but the idea was that essentially there would be $30,000 going to different athletes or to every athlete uh, that that somehow qualified. Um, and I, and I think part of the problem was that if this was in addition to other deals, maybe that makes sense. So then you have both, you have a sort of guaranteed money that comes in at 30 grand, but then you also have this sort of outside money you can make if you're sort of at a, an excellent sort of top shelf, at, you know, athlete and can, can market yourself, but it's yet to be seen whether this will actually come, come to fruition. And of course, any, you know, opportunities by Congress to regulate the NCAA or regulate these institutions is, is not going to be met um, in, in a nice way because ultimately um, these state legislatures and institutions are going to want some autonomy. So um, I do think, again, that settling this uh, will prevent monumental changes to college sports that may not be for the best. Um and I think not even for the best for the athletes. Uh, I think it could potentially uh, usher in some some serious issues, not to mention the fact that the NCAA was never meant to be a professional organization. It was meant to be an opportunity for, for students to play college sports. I think maybe some of that has gone away uh, because of the fact of, you know, if there's been an increase in training or the amount of money that's being thrown around with coaching and what have you, but that's sort of where it stands today. So, 
again, folks, thanks for listening in. You know, I think it's anybody's guess as to sort of what will what will occur, but uh, we do have a couple models out there for uh, what college football and what college sports might look like in the next few years. So again, folks, thanks for listening in, making us one of the top entertainment sports law podcasts in the world. And uh, this episode has been brought to you by Bet Online. I look forward to being back with you uh, next week. And in the meantime, uh, you know, Merry Christmas and uh, um, Happy Hanukkah and Happy New Year uh, to to all. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, we'll be back with you very soon.